Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Thank you, Lord. Glory to your name, Father. Thank you for your kindness and your love. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen and amen. Glory be to God. All right, glory! All right, let's get into the teaching of today. Global evangelism. Global evangelism. And um, I read to you a text on Sunday, Philippians 1, verse 7. I want to start from there again. Philippians 1, 7. It says... It is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart in so much as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. Like I said on Sunday, here in this text we see three cardinal aspects of Paul's apostolic ministry and as and of apostolic ministry as a whole. And the first thing he talked about is chains. Listen, something you need to realize is this. In every generation, if the gospel is going to prevail, we have to take up chains. We have to be willing and ready, all right, to go into all the world, no matter the threats that are against us. And to preach the gospel with boldness. And if there is any generation that ever comes to a point where um, they love their life so much that they are not willing to don't lose. You have to realize this. It's such an important teaching in the word of God. So we taught on Sunday on take your chains. I've got a lot of testimonies from that. So, once again, just a brief recap. What we mean by chains? First, of, first and foremost, Paul meant it literally. All right? Uh, like modern-day handcuffs. He was cuffed many times and uh, taken to prison. But you see, every persecution falls under that umbrella because Paul wasn't just taken to prison. He was eventually killed. For the sake of the gospel, everyone who has been injured, suffered any form of abuse, falls under this category. And you see, I just want to bury something once and for all. You see, never again must we think that those who suffered persecution went through persecution because they were out of favor with God. Some people have that silly idea. And they have that silly idea because they don't read their Bibles. Nigeria, the country from which this sermon is broadcast, is, a lot of people don't know, is one of the nations that is most intolerant to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because not every part of Nigeria falls into that category. Many Nigerians are not as conscious of that fact as they should. But it's a fact. 
And sometimes you hear that a church building was burnt down and you think to yourself, it's convenient to think to yourself, weren't they praying? What happened? Weren't they sensitive? And that's because you don't really know the word. Listen, do I believe in the power of the Spirit of God to protect his own emphatically? Peter, who was put in prison, was brought out miraculously by the ministry of angels. Paul, who was thrown in prison, was brought out miraculously by the ministry of angels. But guess what? Those guys were still arrested much later in their, in their life and they were even killed. And I'm not by any chance saying that this is the destiny of everyone. I'm just saying, never, never should it be your own consciousness, your thought process. When you hear that someone was persecuted for the gospel and you're thinking, oh, they should have prayed enough. Oh, they should have fasted more. Are you going to accuse Peter, Paul, and almost all the apostles, nine out of ten of them, Killed in the most gruesome manner. Was it a prayer problem? No. Was it a fasting problem? No. Like I shared with you um, on Sunday, the Bible says, All who will live godly will suffer persecution. That's what the Bible says, and that's what it's about. Alright? So, two quick things you should know about persecution. Number one, the gospel spreads faster. <laughs> When people who are vocal about Christian faith are persecuted. I don't really have time to go into this and this is not even what I'm dwelling on today. But hey, you know, even historians say that after Paul was killed, at his death, he had more people converted to the faith than throughout his early ministry. Historians say that. And, you know, I talked about advocacy on Sunday. Listen, this is a tool that the church needs to learn. Let me just give you an example. A non-Christian example, non-religious example. There was um, a presidential aspirant last year. And he was very vocal about all the things that the former administration was not getting right. And I said to myself, the way this fellow is going... That government is going to make the big mistake of arresting him. And when they arrest him, his course is going to gain popularity. And that's exactly what happened. He became more famous. Maybe, well, not famous enough to win the election. But a lot of people who were not paying attention to what he was saying before paid attention because he was thrown in jail. So, I'm, I'm letting you know that what the devil plans against the church is <laughs> going to be a big mistake. Because mark my words, in spite of the persecution, the church is going to grow stronger and stronger and stronger. Amen. And that's why we must be bold. Can I tell you something? Even political aspirants know that they can be vocal. And the big mistake that the opposition can do is to arrest them for it because their cause is going to spread more. It was Paul. Paul also knew this. He told the church at Philippi, you know, that um, 
his chains and everything that he went through served for the advancement of the gospel. He knew that. He knew that. It aided the gospel even more. And the second thing that happens when Christians are persecuted, like I shared on Sunday, is that they are rewarded. They are rewarded. And apart from crowns of glory and all the great stuff in the afterlife, which, you know, should be eagerly anticipated by all who are in the faith, the paradox of persecution is this. <laughs> that some folks in the world hate your guts because of what you believe. Hate your faith. And being determined to separate you from your faith, they kill you. And in killing you, they unite you with the object of your faith forever. Apart from the crown of glory and all the wonderful, grandiose things that we can expect in the afterlife, there is Christ himself. Christ himself. You know, one of the funniest portions of the Bible, speaking as a man, is Luke chapter 21 from verse 16, where Jesus was giving a prophecy about persecution, the coming persecution. In verse 16, he says, You shall be hated and betrayed by parents and brethren and kinfolks and friends, and some of you shall be put to death. He says, you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. He says, but there shall not a hair of your head perish. Now, I find this funny. You say, why? He just said, many will be put to death. You'll be put to death. What is the value of the strands of your hair if you are dead? You know, in another portion, he said, some of you may be beheaded. And he says, none of your strands of your hair will be hurt. <laughs> Are you joking, Lord? Are you trying to mock people? Oh, your head will be cut off, but your hair will be all right. Don't worry, your hair will be all right. Like, Lord, what is that supposed to mean? But it was a common figure of speech in that day. To let the people know that no enemy can definitively end your life. You have to understand this. The one who is talking is resurrection and life. So it's just like um, a master sculptor, sculptor. You know, he has this vase made of clay. And you take it, you throw it on the floor, you trample on it, you do whatever you want to do with it, and you think that that's the end of that, of that, of that, of that plate or whatever it is. And then the guy comes, he smiles, you know, and he just takes it, all right, and then he breaks it even further, molds it again, and it sits in place. We are talking about the resurrection and the life. He knows that no matter what the enemy tries against you, it cannot end your life. Listen, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. It cannot. It cannot. So he's saying, no matter what they do to you, you'll be all right. 
Don't you understand? If they take your body, I'll give you a new one. If they take your arm, I'll give you a new one. Your eyes, I'll give you a new one. Listen, this is the truth of the gospel. And I'm not saying this in a lackadaisical manner as though we should keep quiet and be silent about the grave injustice that is happening in our day, especially in this country. That's not what I'm saying. I already talked about that on Sunday. I'm just letting you know that when it all comes down to it, neither death, nor life, nor persecution, nor peril, nor angel, nor demons, nor nakedness, nor darkness, nor sword, or any such thing will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ. And that's a very important hope to have. And so back to that text, more or less the anchor text for the first three teachings this month. He says, in so much as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So I talked about chains on Sunday and today I want to talk about defense. I'm going to talk about confirmation this coming Sunday. I want to talk about defense. You see, not all persecution involves literal chains and imprisonment. Sometimes it's words. Words. You know, the person that came up with the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words wouldn't, the person did not anticipate the social media age. Let me tell you something. Words can break your bones. <laughs> if you don't know that, you've not been on Twitter. You know, and, you know, just days ago, I was looking through the, the number of accounts I've blocked on social media. And I, I, and I was laughing. I was like, very soon, Instagram will have to give me page two. I will have to. <laughs> it's a crucial part. I mean, feel free to block is your fundamental right. Amen. But you see, you have to deal with harsh comments on social media. You have to deal with stigmatization. That you enter into some places and there is the temptation to hide your faith. You have to deal with that. You have to deal with naysayers who make mockery of what you represent. What do you do? You have to, first and foremost, be secure in what you believe. So secure. Jesus was so secure. Of course, and I know it sounds, you know, I mean, Jesus. Why would Jesus be secure? But there is a lesson in that for you. Nothing that these people did was sufficient to break his spirit. That's something to learn. His spirit could not be broken. His spirit could not be broken. They pierced him, but his spirit would not be broken. They put a crown of thorns on his head, but his spirit will not be broken. Do you know what it means to be on a cross with nails driven through your wrists? And you look at the very people that did it to you and you say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. Many times, our eagerness to respond in anger is a reflection of insecurity. And insecurity is a manifestation of the flesh. You have to understand that. But when you see things biblically, and you understand first and foremost, many of these people, the God of this world has blinded their eyes. They don't know any better. 
So you will respond to their anger with, 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 with love. You respond to their anger with gentleness, with prayers, with pity. Make no mistake. Sometimes you, you will want to punch them in the face. There's an evangelist that trended um, last week and the week prior. He was preaching. <laughs> and the person he was preaching to, you know, insulted him. And he got very angry. He said, now he said, he said, if they born you were come here, I'll beat you now. <laughs> Seconds ago, he was preaching Jesus. And now he was so angry, he wanted to fight. Listen, that's the generation we live in. You have to be ready. They will say things to you. Praise the Lord. You know, some enjoy it. It's a sport. They like to be savage. You'll be ready to forgive. You will understand. It's a spiritual battle. They don't know any better. And then number two, you have to be ready to speak with boldness and without shame. To speak with boldness and without shame, giving a premeditated response that cannot be gainsaid. Listen, I put many elements into this statement that I just made and they are all very important. You have to be ready to speak with boldness and without shame, giving a premeditated response that cannot be gainsaid. I said premeditated because you have to anticipate confrontation. If you don't anticipate confrontation, you don't know what we're up against. You don't know what it means to disciple people. You don't know what it means to influence cultures for Christ. They're going to come for you. And listen... All the topics and the questions and the doubts in your heart. You have to anticipate it. You see, Jesus walked with such a level of discernment in the spirit. And such a sensitivity to the emotions of people that sometimes he's talking. And even the hidden questions in people's hearts. The Bible says he, he knew their thoughts. And he would just voice out the doubts that they had. It takes a certain level of diligence. Because people are going to ask you questions. They ask Jesus questions all the time. In fact, you know, it's very interesting. In Matthew 22 alone, you see the number of questions Jesus had to answer. I mean, they were taking turns. Different groups of people will come, test him. You know, he will pass the test. He will answer in a brilliant way. They were trying to make him go viral. <laughs> they were trying to get him in an error. In fact, the Bible put it, <laughs> use the language that means something else today. Look at Matthew 22 verse 15. The Bible says, Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him. <laughs> it talk, don't worry, don't worry about that. I'm just playing. But anyways, it's, it's there. Entanglement. Anyway, entanglement with August. What month are we in again? Lord Jesus. <laughs> I better be serious. All right. But they were trying to entangle. <laughs> 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 
They were trying to catch him <laughs> in an arrow. <laughs> and so, they were asking him all kinds of questions. Believers, pay attention to this. So, the Bible says the Herodians, the people who believed in Herod, came to ask him a political question. In our day, the church will have to answer political questions. It matters your response to political questions. They want to know. So what do you have to say about this? The Herodians came and asked him a political question. The Sadducees came and asked him a doctrinal question. I'm going to read them maybe as briefly as I can. The Pharisees came and asked him an ethical question. These are areas that cannot be ignored in our day. How does the gospel influence our political perspectives? You're going to have to answer. What about our doctrinal views? How do they come to play in practice? What's the practicality of it? Well... Every good theologian is not thinking practicality. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But you still have to be ready to explain it in a way that they can grasp. What about ethical questions? So many of them, I don't want to go into them. So, the Herodians asked him, you know, they, they came in the most unassuming way, Matthew 22, 16. They said, Master, we know that you are true. And you teach the way of God in truth. Neither do you care for men or have regard to person of men. He says, tell us therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to give tributes to Caesar? You have to understand how sensitive that question is. The Jews were colonized by the Roman Empire. And heavy taxes were forced on them. And they're like, oh, all this doctrine you're preaching. People are suffering. What's your view? Speak. Have you seen people who, who always want the church to talk on all political questions? What's your view? And he took the coin. He says, whose image is on the coin? They said, Caesar. He said, now, this is a sensitive question. He says, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. You know, a very brilliant um, theologian said he would have asked what belongs to God. And Jesus' response would have been, whose image are you? Whose image are you? Give to God what belongs to God means give your entirety, your entire life to God. But hey, he answered a political question. The Sadducees came with a doctrinal question. He answered it. Very funny question. In their tradition, if two people are married, this is not a biblical tradition. It's just the Jewish tradition. If two people are married and maybe the husband dies, the younger brother or the older brother, any brother, is permitted to marry the wife. You know, of course, there must be consent. Marry the wife. And take on responsibilities. And so they said, okay. And you know, 
have you noticed people who want to um, find loopholes in your belief, they always go the extreme. So they say, what about a situation where the husband dies, the younger brother marries, that one too dies, the other, um, and another one marries, that one also dies until the woman has married seven times. <laughs> you know. They said, so who will be her husband in the afterlife? Imagine the question. And Jesus said, none of them we will be like angels in the afterlife. Not marrying or being given to marriage. So, listen. Every time they came with G to Jesus, they thought they had a question that was too difficult to be answered. And he will answer it in such a brilliant way, they'll just go. They had nothing against him. It kept happening, and they'll just go. Now it was time for the Pharisees. Look at verse 34 of the same Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees had heard that they had that he had put the Sadducees to silence. Look at what, what, what this text says. They heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. <laughs> then they gathered together. It was their turn. Do you know Jesus' response to the Sadducees was so authoritative. He said, first and foremost, you ask that question because you know not the scriptures nor the power of God. <laughs> you know when someone thinks, oh, I have a question now. I have a question now. And then you, you start that way. Well, first and foremost, yeah, yeah, I, know, I can understand why you ask that question. You're ignorant. <laughs> and then you give a profound answer. And then these religious elites have to turn their backs and go in shame. Don't forget what the, the theme of today's service is. I'm talking about defense, right? So it's time for the Pharisees. And the Bible says... They sent a lawyer to ask him a question. This is a brilliant man. And he said, Master, which is the greatest, the great commandment of the law? And Jesus said, Thou shalt love. I mean, it's as if Jesus already had the answers waiting. This, these are lessons to learn. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and your, all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. The second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang the law and the prophets. Answered brilliantly all the time. Paul was like that also. You see, there is an aspect to ministry that many people in the modern day church don't know about. Many Christians and even Christian leaders don't like to argue. They don't like to be controversial. But you have to understand defense, like I said, is a crucial aspect of our ministry. It's a crucial aspect. You must be ready to defend your conviction. Sometimes it will involve argument. You're going to stay on the matter. I'm going to read three brief texts to you, Acts chapter 17, verse 2 and 3, Acts chapter 19, verse 8 to 10, Acts chapter 18, verse 28, Acts 17, 2 and 3. I'll start with that, Acts 17, verses 2 and 3. The Bible says, Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Many pastors today are just unnecessarily authoritative. Take my word for it. 
I'm a pastor, so this is it and that's final. But Paul was careful to reason with people out of the scriptures. To make a case. The Bible says, opening and alleging that Christ must need have suffered and risen again from the dead. He showed them from the word of God. Don't shy away from arguments. From detailed defense. Oh, you believe that Jesus was the Christ? That was a Messiah that was killed like that? And he says, open your Bible. Let's talk about it. You know, they must, he must have shared from Isaiah 53. He was sharing from the scripture. Opening and alleging. It's not something you should chicken away from. At the slightest provocation. You know, sometimes once you just... We, we have a propensity to avoid confront, confrontational people. All right. The moment they ask questions, you just want to avoid them. But the Bible says he continued three Sabbaths, three Sundays, or Saturdays, whichever one. It doesn't really matter. It's no more about days. Hallelujah. The Sabbath was to prefigure, I don't want to get into that, the rest that we have in Christ. Salvation. Sabbath is your salvation. So don't get into technicalities about days as if, if you are serving God on Friday, Jesus said, you will say, what? You couldn't wait till tomorrow? <laughs> Some people are just so silly. Every day is the day of the Lord. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 19, from verse 8 to 10, the Bible says, And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly. I like that this is qualified. He didn't just speak. He spoke boldly. Listen, listen, you know, one day we sponsored a post where I was preaching and in my normal fashion, I was talking with passion, you know, so I was shouting. And someone commented and said, bro, why you they shout? You know, someone commented. But it's right there in the Bible. The Bible says, Acts 7, 37, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried with a loud voice. I said, yes, that's where I learned to shout when I'm preaching. He was preaching and shouting. If any man thirsts, Jesus preached like he, he, he ate well. He didn't preach. Hallelujah. <laughs> he spoke boldly for the space of three months. You see, sometimes our convictions are so fickle, so superficial. We can't even spend time to defend it. We just breeze off subjects, breeze off topics. It ought not to be so. Three months. Speaking boldly. Guess what they said next? Disputing and persuading. <laughs> there, this is an aspect of preaching many people don't understand. Sit down. Let's argue it. Come here. Open your Bible. <laughs> Disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. The Bible says, But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of the way, 
of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years. Listen, for two years, he was preaching every day. Oh, listen, there is a level of diligence in persuasion that the church must not lose. How persuasive are you? And you have to understand the body of work that is required. Listen, even in marketing, marketing experts will tell you, don't give up on a customer until after seven times trying to sell to the person. Try seven times. It's a principle in marketing. That the first time the best man say, no, no, I'm not, I didn't budget for it. Come again. No, no, no. Um, why is the product like this? Come again. No, no, no. So, listen. Because of the way the human mind is structured, sometimes it might, it will take repetition, not sometimes, many times. Repetition. Before we sit down to come out of our mental models and really truly consider what you're saying. It's a principle. That's how you sell anything. Including the gospel. So not that, not the silly way people share tracts. They're just going, they're just doing like this. Doing like this. They won't even say good afternoon, how was your day? They don't want to talk to you. That's not persuasive enough. Young Cho shared um, on his salvation experience. It was a young girl that got him saved. She would come and she would preach every day. And he would listen. And one day she came and she preached to him and he said no. And she started crying. <laughs> and he was like, ah, is it serious like this? Okay, what should I say? Oh, you lead me. <laughs> Persuasion. You know how to persuade your dad to buy you stuff or pers persuade your boss in the office about something. But when it comes to the gospel, you are so, I mean, it's such a discomfort to even share that when you try, the moment you see the person, is, I beg, I beg, I beg. Let people know this about you, that you don't let them off the hook easy. Listen, we are fishers of men. You have to understand this. When you get employment into an office, you are there for fishing. You are after men. I'm a master at catching men. Listen, this should be your perspective. I catch men. Catch men for the gospel. Hallelujah. Two years. So Paul said, you know my chains and my defense. The Greek word translated defense is apologia. Apologia. A-P-O-L-O-G-I-A. And the Greek word simply means to give an answer. Give an answer. It is from that word that we have, you know, the English word apologetics. Which means to give a defense. A defense. A defense. And now, if you think that we have enough time to go into the nitty-gritty of that, <laughs> you're making a big mistake. But I just want to introduce the subject to you. 
to let it be something that you are interested in so that it will sit in your heart as a disposition. You have to be ready. You have to be ready. You see, naturally, I don't like to go, to go with the crowd. I've never really been that type of person. And so, when I heard the gospel of Christ, I wanted to know, why, okay, why? Why do we do this? Why do we speak in tongues? Why do we? Why? Why? I'm that why type of child. You know those children? <laughs> Hallelujah. Anybody who has raised kids knows how to answer why. Curiosity. You're eating. Daddy, what are you doing? I'm eating. Why? You know? <laughs> and you'll be a bad parent because they are, they are their early developing stages. They, need, they, they want to know why. They want to know. And why is okay. Listen, if you get what I just said, then the point of this sermon is already accomplished. It's okay for people to ask why. I'm not talking about people who are ever learning, never able to come to the point of truth, who just want to be stubborn, you know. But fundamentally, curiosity, innocent curiosity should not be ignored. So the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, very important text. He says, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. This is so important in this context and I will show you why. But let me read on. Oh, that's so good. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. So much to share with you today. He says, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. He says, be ready. And what's the frequency of this instruction? Always. So even if it's impromptu, like, you know, like um, Philip, and you find yourself with the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, impromptu, you can ask, her, what are you reading? Do you understand what you're reading? Okay, this is what it means. And you just sit with him in his ride, and you explain the word of God to him. You should master the subject so much that even if you are woken from your sleep and they say, oh, what's, what's your view on this? You can give a brilliant and an intelligent answer. Don't you understand? You are meant to be a fisher of men. You should know your crafts. You should have mastered the skill. Listen, we catch men for a living. Don't you get it? We are in the business of soul winning. Persuasion is the rule of the game. Not just for the sake of it, not just with human wisdom, but with the wisdom of God and with true compassion for their souls. Be ready always to give an answer to every man who would ask you the reason of the hope that is in you. So when they ask you why you believe what you believe, don't be offended. You should have an answer. There is a why. There is a why. There is a why. There are some questions 
that if you ask me, by the time I'm done explaining it, if you don't want to believe, it's because you don't want to believe. I can tell you with a great sense of humility but confidence in my heart that I have mastered it impromptu. You know, I belong to a WhatsApp group. Some people are mentoring. Um, and someone asked a Bible question some time ago. And I said, okay, look at this, look at this, look at this verse, look at, connect it here. And you know, they all went, wow. And someone asked jokingly, Pastor, do you have a note somewhere? You know, I said, see, when you spend 10 hours <laughs> studying a verse, you will never forget it in your life. <laughs> when, when you remember the labor you went to to unpack, there was, there was a verse Three verses actually. I sat on the floor in the parlor from morning till night. I, I was just there. I can't even remember if I ate or not, but if I ate, it must have been on the floor with it like this. You sat. So you, it, it becomes a part of you. Because it's not enough to believe it, you must be able to explain it. So every time you listen to a sermon, you listen to the sermon with the perspective that you are called to be a fisher of men and that thing that your pastor explained, you also, you're not receiving it just for you, but for the people who will ask you the same question. You receive it and you learn it like someone who is going to teach, which you should. Be ready to give an answer. It says, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. You see, I'm, I'm going to talk about that maybe on Sunday. There is so much error around. Do you know there are some tweets <laughs> that you will read? If you don't have firm conviction, you will doubt everything. Just tweets. You, you can imagine the smirk on the person's face as he typed it. You know, people are so rude, so unruly. Well, what do you expect? They don't believe the gospel. So he says, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Make sure that he always still has that sacred place in your heart. No matter what the culture around you is suggesting and saying. Give him his place. Do you know what our church's approach has been instead? Number one, the church has ideologies. That must never be questioned. Do you know that in some churches, the moment you begin to ask some questions, everybody will just <laughs> they'll push you aside. It's like an unspoken, it's like an unspo unspoken rule. You know, growing up as a Christian, there's some questions. The moment someone is asking, you just say this one is already backsliding. You know, when you say, How do we know that the Bible is truly the word of God? Eh? Eh? What did you ask now? Eh? <laughs> you know, they will kick you out. <laughs> but you know what the Bible says, like I just read? Be ready to give an answer to those who would ask the reason of the hope that is in you. Be ready. It's an instruction. It's not a suggestion. It's an instruction. Be ready. So when they say why, you should have an answer. I remember as an undergraduate... Someone asked me that question. I said, I will give you five responses. This was impromptu. We're, we're at a parking lot. 
And by the time I was on, she said, wow. That's meant to be you. Glory to God. But, but this, this sacred cows in the body of Christ, I hope you know, understand the metaphor, you know, these topics that must never be brought up. The moment you bring it up, heaven, you know, everywhere will be shaking like this. <laughs> you know, there's some, especially the ones that have to do with money, false fruit, tight which the moment the topic comes off your mic, off your off your <laughs> minister, off your minister of the gospel, off your mic. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Hallelujah. You you have to understand it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. When, you know, the whole tithing debate uh, um, arose some time ago, people were saying, oh, you know, some would say, it works for me. How is that an explanation? How is that an explanation? God told Moses, speak to the rock, rock and water is going to come out. Out of anger, he struck it instead. Guess what? Water still came out. Results cannot always be the proof of objective truth. Look at other religions, the number of followers that they have. If it's about results, you're going to have questions. Truth is truth, whether it is popular or not. So you cannot say it works for me as a defense. That's not a defense. So we just have ideologies that must never be questioned. Number two, we have no clear biblical or logical explanation. And by logical, I mean, you know, I'm not saying sensual. I mean, there is a common sense approach to explaining biblical truth. You see the way Jesus taught? You see the way Paul taught? Paul used all kinds of um, relatable concepts to explain biblical truths. He used racing, sports. I'm going to talk on that if I have time on Sunday. Sports. You know, just athletic commitments to talk about commitment to ministry and all of that. Paul did all of that. So, you, you can, uh, like, Ravi Zacharias of blessed memory. Oh, dear Lord. They told me last, late last year that I will be calling his name and saying blessed memory. Thank you, Lord. You know, he had a phrase that I loved very much. Helping thinkers believe and helping believers think. You know, they, they both can walk hand in hand and I don't have time to show you that. Time is just running anyhow. All right, but many times in many circles, no proper biblical explanation, no logical explanation. Why do why do we do the things we do? Even to the simple things. When we say praise the Lord, you say hallelujah. When we say hallelujah, you say amen. Why? When I said praise the Lord, you said hallelujah. So when I say hallelujah, your response should be praise the Lord. Why say does it even make sense? What does amen mean? Amen, of course. So it is. All right. But when I say hallelujah, I'm praising the Lord. So you say, so it is. You know, there are just some things that we do 
and no one questions. I remember the first time, um, you know, when we ended the service, and we said, let's take our benediction. We serve God by His Spirit. Someone came and said, why did we not share the grace? <laughs> you know? Because it's like the service has not ended. Like, maybe, maybe I don't know if that was the first, the first time you were in Celebration Church and we ended service like that. You know, you were like, ah. It's, it felt as if, if you go home like that, like, <laughs> you have sinned. And these are nice and okay traditions, but they're not teachings in the word. You have to understand this. Paul ended one of his books that way. He didn't end any other book that way. Any benediction, as long as it's biblical, is okay. And then number three, wrong approach that the church today, or many churches today have, is that potentially harmful norms are left to dominate without a defense. Some topics will just enter the church, you know, and be growing. And everybody's just looking away. You know, I told you I'm going to talk this month. I'm doing a lot of talking this month. You better be ready. You know, when someone comes to you as a pastor and says, you know, I want to confide in you. I'm a guy, but I find myself, you know, feeling attracted to other guys. What do I do? Oh, many men of God have goofed on that subject. Some go the extreme, you know, some justify it. And some go the other extreme, you know, you start avoiding the person like a filth. All of this is wrong. You know, I heard about a young boy who confided in his pastor as a spiritual leader that this, this is what I'm going through. And then the pastor said, hmm, okay, I'll get back to you on that. And then the next Tuesday, a midweek service, he preached a hot sermon on holiness. And he said, there's someone in this church who told me that, you know, this is what he's going through. And the boy did not attend that service. So when he came on, on Sunday, when he sits down like this, people will stand up. Everybody was avoiding him and he was wondering what's wrong. So when someone comes to you, with a question, you, you may never, you know, be able to relate to it. it it's hard, it's personally, you know, to imagine, I don't know, do you understand? But, but, it's a real issue, however. Isn't it funny how silent the church in Nigeria has been on this matter? Silence is deafening. It's one of the most terrible things that can happen to any generation. Because if people have questions and you don't give them answers, they're going to look to wrong sources for answers. So anyway, being evangelical requires i will summarize my thoughts in three 
simple points. Being evangelical requires, number one, that you be bold to speak concerning your faith. You be bold. You have to speak and speak boldly. Can I tell you something? Many people who are not bold think that uh, uh, if I'm bold, people will not like me. I want to be liked. I, I, really, I really value the opinion of men. So I don't want to be found talking about controversial sub subjects. You know, I'm just going to leave that. Guess what? Boldness is attractive. <laughs> Let me tell you a secret in case you don't know. Everyone likes bold people. If you are a kind of person who can confidently and boldly state your case and, and do so eloquently, you're going to be liked. This is so annoying a principle that even if what you're saying is wrong, you will still have followers. Let me tell you this practically. You know, I was just talking to someone so, some time ago, and I said, I mentioned social media influencers. I, I'm, I'm, I said I'm going to talk this month, so... Bear with me. I mentioned people. I said, Lassie Eleno, who, by the way, I like to watch once in a while. Um, Barista Mike. These are names that some of us know. And I said, one other guy, what's his name? Guy with the beards, Oye Mike. I don't, he's not as, I don't think he's as famous as the other two. And he's not a comedian. But I said, what do three of them have in common? You know, Lassisi Elenu, you know, of course, especially the part of him we knew when he was first rising to fame, he was always angry. Something that was always annoying him. The same thing with Barista Mike. <laughs> you know, always angry, always speaking loud. And you may not understand why. Of course, these guys are incredibly gifted and talented and spend a lot of time on their crafts. But the fact that they became so famous reveals something about our culture. Whether you like it or not, especially in this part of the world, we like people who state their mind boldly. And even if they are erratic about it, we find it funny and hilarious. We, we just laugh about it. We laugh about it, especially if it has some touch of humor. We like bold people. We like people who are vocal, who are expressive. So, can I tell you something? If you want to be liked, <laughs> speak out. But let me give you a better motive. Speak out for the gospel. Speak out for Jesus. Listen, the world is very audacious about sin. Hear what people are singing. Hear what people are dancing to. A lot of vices are being encouraged and celebrated. Speak out. Speak out for Jesus. How hard is it? Which is harder? Someone spoke out in this country, you know, saying um, if his hustle doesn't pay, he will do blood money. He sang about it. And you are still ashamed? People went to studios to record songs. 
on internet fraud. They sang about it. They did videos about it. People, young boys sitting in a room with laptops, they did a video on it. People danced to it. People have done songs on drunkenness. On being so drunk, you are falling into gutters. We sang about it. What's your own song? The church is playing catch up now because you're so silent. Speak out. Listen, do you know some people? In fact, there was there was there was a time I spoke out. Anyway, not a time. I do that once in a while. You know, when I speak out, there are some church members that will not comment. You know, they're just watching the. See the way they are talking to pastor. Do you know? Do you, know that? you guys are not ready. You you don't you don't understand what is happening. Let me tell you something. If you try to preach the gospel without confrontation, you are trying to do something that no generation has ever done successfully. Jesus did not do it. Paul the apostle did not do it. Martin Luther did not do it. It, you, it, it takes some level of audacity for truth to prevail in any generation. If you try to propagate the idea of the gospel, the, uh, forget that, scratch that, it's not an idea. The truth of the gospel without confrontation, you are trying to do something that has never been done. And can I tell you something? It can never be done that way. And you'll be the biggest hypocrite to benefit from the radicality of people ahead of you and be silent in your own day. The reason why you may be listening to me with a Bible in your hand is because someone spoke out against the extremes of the Catholic Church, had the audacity to write out 99 theses. If you've not read about that, go and Google, put Google to good new use. Went and wrote out the truths of the gospel and nailed it to the door of the cathedral. This is the truth. He nailed it there. So that everyone will read. To say, listen. When you um, believe in the gospel. You are saved by grace through faith alone. And you don't have to pay money for your sins. Do you know there was a time people paid money for sins? That was all the church knew at the time. Nobody was talking. And someone got a hand of the Bible and read that we are saved by grace through faith alone. Aye, he was angry. He was angry. Then, the Bible could not be mass produced. It wasn't for everybody. Just some few religious elites had it and will read it and interpret it for everybody. It is the radical attitude of others that gave you the freedom that you have today. Listen, people shed blood for the freedom that you have. And to think that you can come in your own time and be silent and get any job done is a great disservice to your children. The, the generation ahead of you sacrificed a lot for you. So what are you going to do for your children? 
What are the ideologies that they will grow up believing or grow up seeing dominant and wonder what you did in your time? Stand up and be counted. So speak boldly concerning your faith. Number two, you have to have insights into biblical positions on prevalent topics. Like I told you, Jesus addressed, let me take that again in case you're writing. No, you should be writing. Have insights into biblical positions on prevalent topics. Jesus answered political questions. Jesus answered ethical questions. Jesus answered doctrinal questions. You have to have answers. You have to have answers. Number three, confidently engage culture with the aim of making disciples. Confidently engage cultures. Can I tell you something? There's a statement, some, there's, a, there's a football tactic statement that some people use. They say attack is the best defense. We are not meant to wait to be asked. Don't you understand? We're sent to make disciples. It's bad enough that they are asking us. It's bad enough. Can I tell you something? Mark this statement. If any generation ever has a question that has not been sufficiently addressed by the church, the church is at fault. That anybody can have any question today and there is no, that we don't have a smorgasbord of options. For people to learn from the word of God and see what the word of God has to say about it. That people are searching, oh, how can I learn about this? The church is at fault. We are sent to make disciples of nations. Don't you understand? It's a discipleship flaw. We must be proactive. The early church was accused of things like this. Where they would say, these ones that have turned the world upside down are here again. Are we turning the world upside down in our day? We must be ready to. We must be ready to. We must be ready to. And you cannot do that by flirting with secular ideas. By being so sensitive. You don't want to be... Can, can I tell you something? Take a stand for Christ or get out. I, I'm sorry, I just have to say it this way. But take a stand for Christ. We need bold people. Where is the Holy Ghost you said you've received? He's meant to infuse boldness into you. Stand up and be counted. You care too much what people think. You know, I remember... 2014, that's how many years ago now? Six years ago. When I preached the sermon, you can imagine what I looked like then. You know, not much different. But I, I was young in age and experience and I was teaching some of the things I still stand for now. And when I, was, when I got home, I got a long meal from someone. Someone said, you have been, your church is how old? And you dare challenge people who have been teaching for 30 years? And I asked him a question. I said, it's, is it really about, you know, my, 
how long I've been in ministry and my, the level of my success? Have you really sat down to check objectively what the Word of God really says? Can I tell you something? There is a hypocrisy in the church that will not allow us to evangelize the world. We are too political. We are too polit There are some things that I say now and everybody accepts. And I've been saying them since. Why? Because we have some level of success. Is that not carnality? We discern people with the eyes of men. We size people up. That must stop. And, and that way, the truth will not prevail. That must stop. I want everyone listening to me to develop what I call a godly paranoia. Godly paranoia that will make you, you know, Paul had this paranoia, you know. Paul, Paul told the church at Thessalonica, he said, he said, I was eager to see you so that I, I could see unless, unless the tempter has tempted you. He said, I, I've not been with you for a long time. I wonder how you're doing. The tempter is out there trying to tempt you. I, I hope you're still okay. It, it's a godly paranoia. Paul was the kind of pastor who will stalk your social media activity. You know, you are so blessed to have a pastor who is, you know, on social media. Those of you who don't follow me, I understand. But I'm still watching you. <laughs> Once or twice I've DM people to say, I noticed you like this picture. Why? Why did you like this picture? You like this video. What in this video made sense to you? I, explain to me. And I don't know if they were all lying, but they all say, ah, must have been a mistake. Oh. And I'm like, no problem. I'm still watching you though. <laughs> but it's a, listen, on a more serious note, the gospel paranoia. Look at what, what he said to the leaders of the church in Acts chapter 20, verse 31. He says, therefore watch and remember, Acts 20, 31. He says, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn you every night and day with tears. He was telling them, um, false teachers are coming. They are going to tempt you. And he said, for three years, I've been warning you night and day, crying. Hey, some false teachers are coming. They will be eloquent. They will try to deceive you. You have to learn to descend them every time. The people he labored over, he's telling them, listen, guys, you just can't listen to any sermon out there. You just can't watch any movie out there. You just can't. By the modern day video census board rating, where none of us is above 18. Usually when you see a movie rated 18, we are all below 18. There are some movies you should never be found watching. I'm going to talk about that. Because I don't understand. Maybe it's your revelation of grace. That's the problem. There are some movies you should never watch. He 
you know, when everybody was shouting Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones, and I saw it and I tried to watch it, I, I was shocked. You mean all the people who were shouting about this, all these believers, they sat down to watch this? I'm coming for you this month. In Acts chapter 17, verse 16, last text I'm going to read today. The Bible says, Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. His spirit was stirred. When he saw idolatry, his spirit was stirred. Where is that stir in your spirit? Where is that stir? We are too complacent in our generation. Where is that stare? When you see what people are focusing on in your generation, where is that stare? It is that stare that should make you rise up in, to the, defend, the defense of the gospel. But now, we look like every one of them. We look like everyone else. Dress like them, talk like them. You know, if you try to say anything bold for the gospel, some Christians will come for you. Christians. Christians. Definitely, I'm going to have to do a part two of this. I still have a lot to talk about. All right? We must have a defense. When people have ask honest questions about homosexuality, have a defense have an answer and answer it with the truth of god's word you know some you know something about paul paul addressed the gospel in such a powerful way you know he said once he says it's a it's a right saying worthy of all acceptance that christ came into the world to save sinners of whom i am chief you know so he said you know what if you are talking about the vilest of offenders, the worst of sinners, I'm number one. He says, because I persecuted the church, I've done the greatest harm. And he saved me. By him saving me, he, he, he proved to the whole world that there is nobody that he cannot save. Do you know what it means to present yourself that way? The reason why many people don't listen to us when we're trying to preach is because we, we come across as judgmental. Can I tell you something? You, you have your own lusts. Either for money or the opposite sex. Someone else has lust for same sex. If you think that you are better than them, you don't understand the gospel. Like Paul, we must all say, you know what? In some, in some ways, I might even be worse than you. But guess what? We are all... Going to be saved by grace through faith. I'm, I'm assuming maybe just in case they're not saved. None of us qualify. Listen, I'm not going to be carnal to categorize some sins as greater than others. Because sometimes this thing is a function of social popularity. Now the whole world is against slavery. And against, you know... Um, oppression of any race. Black lives matter. There was a time it was legal to have slaves in America. But slavery was still wrong then. So it's not about what's popular. Guess what? Polygamy is prohibited in, in, in America. Prohibited. 
It's very strange. You don't see it there. It's not popular in their culture. It's very popular in our culture. Homosexuality is very popular in their culture. It's not popular in ours. You are not, it's not a function of social construct. It's the word of God. So you, you're still battling greed. You're still battling, you know, um, anger and someone else. So you have to let them know, all right, it is the same salvation that I received that is available for you. And I'm going to say something. I'm going to drop a bombshell now. What if the person is already a Christian and having this temptation? Question, don't you have temptations too? We have to talk about it. The fact that it's strange to you, we still have to address it biblically. You have temptations too. So we have to address it the same way you overcome temptations. It's the same way they must overcome temptations. It's a temptation. But what we must not do on the other hand, some go the other extremes to justify it. Some say, um, I was born that way. Since I was a child, I always liked same sex. Therefore, it cannot be wrong. Guess what? All sins have early signs from childhood. Have you seen children lie? Have you seen children steal? All of them. All of them. So the fact that you know, you saw the signs of it. It's still a temptation. It's still a sin. I'm just saying, the fact that you've been that way for the longest time does not make it, objectively speaking, does not make it right. The fact that the feelings, all right, are, are really strong and authentic, quote and unquote, does, still doesn't make it right. You know, I was speaking to someone I taught on homosexuality, um, what, 2018, and someone came into my DM that I see you want to teach on homosexuality. You want to deliver them. You know, someone from, from I think it was out of the country. And then we went back and forth for a while, and then I asked him a simple question. I said, what's the difference? I said, I know you're, you're asking this question because you're homosexual. I said, what's the difference between what you feel and what a pedophile feels? He said, no, they are not the same thing. I said, prove it to me. Prove it to me. He, his, he feels, he genuinely feels for children. He likes children. Listen, we must all embrace the truth of the reality that if we all go by how we feel all the time, we will destroy ourselves. That's the truth. That's the truth. And so there is an objective truth in the word of God that must be preached with meekness and humility. And back to, I'm going to round up with this. The text I um, we, we shared, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, doesn't just say, be ready to give an answer to everyone who would ask the reason of the hope that is in you. It says to do it with meekness and fear. Meekness and fear. So don't start running away from the colleague in the office because he discovered he, he, he has homosexual tendencies. Stop that. 
You can have one as a good friend and love him. Be patient enough. Sometimes we act as if, if people don't embrace our views immediately. They are our enemies. Let me break this to you. It's a sin to be homophobic. It's a sin. You are walking in the flesh. How did we even get here? <laughs> but if I said all of that to say this. Now, to let you know how bad things are, some will be shocked I even talked about things like this. And it must be spoken about. We must come to a point where we are bold to speak the truth in love. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. We give you the praise. Thank you for the truth of your word prevailing in our day. We give you the praise. Just pray in the spirit right now. Pray in the spirit right now. Pray in the spirit right now. The word of God grows mightily and prevails. Pray in the Holy Ghost right now. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice. That your spirit will stir them to boldly declare the truth of your message wherever they find themselves. We come out from the hiding and with love, not just boldness, but love, we share the truth of your message. And we thank you that the gospel prevails. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen and amen. Glory to God! Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.